You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abrocha. We have the immense COVID to have with us my dear friend, my Rebbe, my mentor, uh, a role model in many ways. Uh, someone, uh, more importantly, somebody who picks up the phone when I call, <laughs> Rabbi Pesach Krohn. Uh, it really doesn't need any introduction. Rabbi Pesach, uh, we know that we have a, a, on this platform, we have been dealing with uh, Niftarim Hashuvim, uh, especially as all of us have become so sensitive to it since the onset of COVID. And whether they've been nifted from COVID or not, you know, the significance of all the, the leaders of Klal Yisrael, the teachers, Manhigim, uh, we felt that it's worthwhile, especially in this era of, of podcasting, to let people know about them. And I know that there was someone who was nifted just a little bit over two weeks ago, someone that, that you wrote about in a recent tribute in Ami magazine, Rav Moshe Newman, Zechel Tzadik Levroche, I would say, based on what I read. And I think it's, it's, it's proper. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this incredible person who was the Menachel of the Beis Yaakov. It's called, is it called the Beis Yaakov, Beis Yaakov of, Queens? of Queens? Beis Yaakov of Queens. And it was in uh, the Kew city. Gardens. It was a city that you live in, 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 in Kew Gardens. Right. Right. And I know that uh, this is a city that, that, that our listeners know that Pesach Kron has been living in for how many years have you been living in, in, in Kew Gardens now? Since 1952. 1952. Uh, technically, it's Richmond Hill, though, right? Well, my house is the first one. Of technically, technically, it's Richmond Hill. And I know this because I lived in your house. So I know <laughs> that I lived in Richmond Hill. But we'll, we'll call it Kew Gardens, especially, you know, the, the aura of Kew Gardens. So you, this is a, a community that, that you have been so bound up with. And talk about your relationship to him and, and how, how significant of a machanach he was. Okay, so what I would say is, First and foremost, you know, there are certain people that everybody loves to be in their presence. You know, there are some people that are Tamil Chachamim and Sadiqim and wealthy fellows, different type of people, but, you know, their personality may not be the greatest for whatever reason. So you acknowledge them for what they are. But Rabbi Newman, besides being a wonderful Machanach, was just a great guy. Everybody liked to be in his presence. He always had the capacity to say something that made you feel special. He was always upbeat, always with a smile. And Bechitsonius and Bepnimius, he was impeccable. Never revaval big day, always a very, very neat person. And he was concerned more than anything else about giving over the Messiah to the next generation. Now, as I say, he was the principal for 50 years. Beis Yaakov and Queens started many, many years ago in a small little building in Corona. And um, there were a group of Balabatim here in Kew Gardens, Danny Sukenik, his brother Moish Sukenik, a fellow Rabbi Beryl Merling and Paul Atlas, and these people. And they wanted to hire a Machanach that would really build this school. And I'm sure I was, you know, I was not involved in the school at that time. I was very young. And, um, but these people, they did their research and they came up with Rabbi Newman and they just loved him. And he just built the school to today, Bliya and Haaretz, close to uh, 750, 800 students. 
And um, he was here, you know, till a couple of years ago, maybe 10 years ago, he was already 80 years old and uh, he retired and he retired on his own, you know, when he wanted to retire. Nobody sent him out. Nobody would want to send him out. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wrote in there, um, in that article for Ami, and also I'm going to put it in my new Magen book as a tribute to him, is um, you may know a Machanach by the name of Hillel Mandel. So sure. wonderful, wonderful machanach. Yeah. And uh, he was sitting at this table right here once uh, for Kiddush in the morning, Shabbos morning. And he told me something fascinating. He said, every principal in any school has to balance four different units. It's the children, the parents, the teachers, and the board. Now, in every school, you have a principal. Sometimes he's a teacher's principal. In other words, he'll do you'll back the teachers no matter what, but he's not always there for the kids. You know, he can be very strict with the kids. And then you have the principal who the kids just absolutely adore. They love him. And as I wrote here in Kew Gardens, there were thousands of kids who wanted to marry Rabbi Newman, everybody, all the kids, they loved him. And I'll tell you what, he did something special. And the board members loved him and the parent body, they revered him. So he was able to balance that act, make everybody happy because he had a kind word for everyone and everybody knew that he was sincere. Now, he never, ever lived in Queens and that was Bacavona. And I remember Rabbi Landisman, who was the principal of Tres Moshe, told me the same thing. It's not good for a principal to live in the neighborhood where he has the school because you can't go shopping. You can't walk out of your car because everybody wants to know about their kid. So... You know, I, I never thought of it that way until Rabbi Landisman and Rabbi Newman told me about that. I can tell you, you know, somebody, I, I have, I made that mistake and, um, you know, it, it cost me. Because not only do they want to know about your kids, they want to talk to you about why you assigned this project. <laughs> and, and, and they want to they wanna know why did they get a B plus and not an A minus. And that's between the pickles and the cucumbers, you know, in the fruit store. That's right. You know, so... Uh, there's no end. But the fact that he lived in Borough Park did not hold him back from being early every single morning and being on the curb to welcome every child coming off the bus. Everyone he had a kind word for. Many of them, almost everyone, he knew their first names, certainly when the schools were smaller. And he greeted every child and he had something to say to every child, you know, something personal. And, and of course, I, I, I would assume that again, this was America in in the sixties, right? Exactly. When he came, and I, I know you wrote in the article that his family expected, although they sent him to yeshiva, they expected him to actually pursue a law degree. Right. That, exactly. So and he had been learning in Chaim Berlin. He was very, very close to Rav Hutner, who he considered his rabbi Muvak. And one day they needed a substitute for a seventh grade Rebbe who got ill and he plucked Rabbi Newman out of the base medrash and he told him, you're gonna be the seventh grade Rebbe. He said, I'm not a Rebbe. I've never had experience. He said, no, but I know you'll do a good job. And you couldn't argue with Rav Hutner. And um, he went in and of course these kids, they were not interested in having a substitute. And he said to them, listen guys, you know, I, I know you don't wanna be here and I don't wanna be here either because I'm not a, really a Rebbe, but let's make the best of it. And if you guys learn, we'll sneak out of school and we'll go play basketball. You just got to give me an hour or two 
And then we're going to take the other two hours off and we're going to go play basketball. And the kids didn't believe this. They said, how are we going to get out of school? He said, you see the fire escape behind the school? We're going to climb down and we're going to do that. And, and that's what he did. And the kids loved him for it because he was at his word. He understood kids. He understood Chinuch. And of course, he was a great success. Rav Huttner couldn't believe what he did. Rav Huttner wasn't aware until he asked him, like a couple of weeks later, he said, you know, the other Rebbeim, they couldn't handle these kids. How did you do it? And he said, well, I'll tell you the truth. You know, we snuck out and we played ball. And he said, you know, that's the way to do it. And then what happened was that Rabbi Huttner found out that in Detroit, they needed a machanach. And he sent Rabbi Newman. He was all of 21 years old. And uh, he was on the way to go to law school. And, um, but I, I can't get over this. His uh, son told me, Nelson told me that his grandmother, that means Rabbi Newman's mother said, look, I want you to go to law school to be a tax lawyer. But if your Rebbe says you have to go to Detroit, you better listen to your Rebbe. So she had a certain Zahiros or respect of Kavadat going against her wishes. Don't forget, she was a survivor. And many of the survivors, all they wanted was their kids to go to college. And here she said, if your Rebbe says you got to go, you got to go. And he was so a he actually, fabulous. So he actually never, he actually didn't have a higher, he didn't even go to college? Didn't even yeah, go he to did college. go to college, but that was going to be post-college to go post -college. to uh, this higher school. You know, you know, I found interesting, Pesach, is although you know, we now look at Queens as Spitz, New York, um, at the time, it was, it was still sort of, it wasn't out of really, town. It was sort of out of town, right? right. I mean, the Queens, right. you grew, I mean, I think that's part of your appeal too, Pesach, is that even though you're a New Yorker, you grew up in Richmond Hill in a town that was sort of- Exactly. And, exactly. And, and, I'm a big believer in out of town. All my uh, my wife, you know, is from Denver. Sure. And my sons-in-law and daughters-in-law are all from out of town. My, my wife lived family, in your, my wife lived in your mother- my wife lived in your mother-in-law's house, so right, right. You remember that I lived, I lived in your house, and my <laughs> wife lived in your mother-in-law's house. So we, yeah, but that's not how the shit came about. No, no, yeah. it was years later. But my point is, is that here is that he, uh, Rabbi Newman, when I've read, really cut his teeth as a as a real super mechanic out of town in right. Detroit, in, in, in Allentown, town, Pennsylvania, right. And, 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 and then he came here, right? You're so, right. I never thought of it that way. And in a sense, Queens was out of town, and so that were, you know, that helped him mold who he was. And right. although he taught mostly boys, you know, both in Allentown and in Detroit, certainly, but here he was fabulous with the girls. Now we we talk about you know Pugh Gardens being out of town at the time. Was it considered in this early '60s when he became the principal? Was it considered weird that it's going to be an all-girls school? No, 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 Hatsushom. No, there was definitely, a, you know, a boys' school separate. There was the first motion or Israel. No, so there was no. No, because I will tell you, out of town, I'm sure in Allentown and yeah, in Detroit. Yeah, no, but that was not the case here at all. Not at all. Uh, in other words, it was still in town enough that whatever. Yeah, oh, started, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, they were Heliga Balabatim. No, Rav Yankov Tadabam was here. You know, he was the Rav. There was no way you're going to have a mixed school. So, so, so on one hand, it had aspects of what we call, you know, Haredish guide in terms of that. But on the other hand, right. it had that out of town. And, and yeah. do you think he developed? <laughs> the, Remel, I don't want to say this, but it is true. They had to meet us of out of town. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Well, I'm an out of towner. So I yeah, you're in Memphis, right? I take it as a compliment. Uh, um, I, I mean it as a compliment. Yeah. So t tell me, did 
you know, and he might have, that might be how the Beis Yaakov was a little bit different than maybe some of the Brooklyn Beis Yaakovs because they're, the, the Machanech and the Menachel was someone who had a little bit of out of town mentality. Um, and, you know, obviously we've all moved to the right uh, since the 1960s. The schools don't look the same, the dresses don't look the same. Um, w- how was Rabbi Newman? Very much a, a, a starker in that way. Did he have an, uh, did he have a religious agenda that he tried to push specifically in the school? I, I, let me tell you one of the most delightful things. Now your crowd goes all over, right? So I hope we're not going to get in trouble for this. But I'm going to tell you one of the greatest things about me and Rabbi Newman, what we did together for 22 years. Now, 22 years ago, my sister-in-law, who was one of the first grade teachers called me and asked me that the first grade, it was right around Shavuos time and during Sphere, they're going to get their Chumashim for the first time. So they asked me if I would give the Chumashim, give a little speech to the first graders and give them out their Chumashim. They're all going to be coming in with crowns and just like the Yidin had crowns in Harsinai. And I said to her, look, I can speak to teenagers. I can speak to adults. I cannot speak to first graders. She said, don't worry, you'll be fine. You'll be able to do it. Anyhow, okay, it's hard to say no to a sister-in-law. So I decided, okay, fine, I'll do it. But then I had heard about Rabbi Weldler. There was a fellow, a fabulous Machanach, who lived in Mansi, who had been a principal in Tres Moshe here for a while. And when he was Nifter, somebody wrote his family a letter. And the family called me to tell me about it. It was so amazing. What happened was they wrote him a letter, a Talmud that he had had 50 years earlier, that he remembered how Rabbi Wellner gave out the Chumashim. And this is the letter that they wrote, that what he did was he took, let's say there were 30 boys in the class. He took an, pieces of orange. He gave 30 boys each a piece of the orange. And every kid, he said to them, they should smell the orange. And then he made a bracha with them. And then they tasted the orange. And he said to the kids, what was better, the smell or the taste? And of course, they each said the taste. So he said to the boys, till now, you are only able to smell the Torah. Now that you have your Hamashim, you're going to be able to taste the Torah. And the guy wrote in the letter, I felt that day that we ate a fruit from Ganeiden. So that idea is what I did in the first grade when I first started. Then Rabbi Newman heard that I was speaking and he came in. And at that time, my daughter, my granddaughter, who today is a mother of children, Baruch Hashem, but Rachel Heber, Rachel Pfeiffer, she was in that first class that I did it. So Rabbi Newman and I held little like fluffy Sifrit Torah, of course, you know, fake Sifrit Torah. And we were stood in the middle and the girls, I can't say dance, but they walked around us singing Torah, 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 Torah. And every single year, and I can't imagine a Williamsburg that would happen, right? <laughs> you know, that two men would be in the middle of the first graders and they're walking around and they're singing Torah, Torah. But it was the most adorable. Crown thing. Heights, yes, though. Crown Heights, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I would say Crown Heights, yes. Uh, yeah, it's probably, still, probably still going on. Um, yeah, but, you know, that was something that, you know, we both looked forward to it, and it, it, it was fabulous. So so even, a, though, so even though, like we're saying, you know, he was a Talmud of Rafutner, he was a yeshiva man, but he yeah. understood what sort of methods needed to happen to grow the school. And would you say in terms, you know, you talked about 
being uh, multifaceted. You know, as a school grows and 800 students, that's from K to eight? Eight, right. K to eight is 800. That means each class is about 100 students, right? I know, yeah, there are quite a few grades. In right, so and I would assume, Pesach, just from what I know of, of the math, that there's probably four, uh, four teachers per grade. So you're talking there about a staff of 32 32 Please, teachers. Right, sure. So the 32 staff, the, the staff, tutoring staff, right. special ed staff. And then you have then you have the Lamude Hall staff. Of course. So you have you're you're talking about close to a hundred employees. Employees, right. So I'm just speculating. And, and and you say that he was able to to be seen clearly as the the manig, the connector. And he was, you know, we talk about him being an American. But really, Rabbi Newman was born in Europe, right? He was born well, in... That's right. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. He was actually born in Germany in a town called Heilbronn. And his father was Polish. But when his father married his mother, I understand his mother said that there was no way that they were going to live in Poland because it was worse for Jews in Poland at that time than it was in Germany, if you can believe it. And they moved to Germany. And Rabbi Newman's father, Yisrael Yitzchak, uh, Oh, I believe that was his name. Um, so oh, Yitzchok Yehuda, rather. Yitzchok Yehuda was a very, very wealthy man in Germany. And um, unfortunately, in 1938, in 1938, uh, all the Polish Yidden had to leave Germany. They were sent out because they were all accused of being spies. So that meant that Rabbi Newman's father and his mother and he and his sister had to leave Germany. And they were all going towards the train to the border. Now, for some reason, they couldn't make it there to the border before the weekend. And they were in a holding station in Stuttgart in Germany. Now, it's very interesting because my son-in-law, Shlomo David Pfeiffer, had grandparents that were living in Stuttgart, Germany. Um, because they were in the Hebrew school, so they were told that there's some Jewish people in this holding station in Stuttgart. And they got a header to travel on Shabbos. My son-in-law's grandmother, Mrs. Robert, and she went and she brought food to the Newmans on Shabbos. And she thought that was going to be the last meal they would ever have because they were going to be deported. And the next morning, they were put on a train. And they had to get off the train um, to be examined and checked by the Gestapo and Rabbi Newman told me once that he was terrified. He was an eight-year-old kid. He was standing with his father and his mother and his sister. And they were standing out in the field and the Gestapo guy was checking and examining all of them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, some German soldier saw Rabbi Newman's father and he yelled, Neumann, Araus! Like, you know, get out, like from the line. And the 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 Ramosha, who was eight years old was terrified that they were being singled out as was the wife and then the father turned to his son and he said you should know Baruch Hashem and he couldn't have understand what does that mean Baruch Hashem but what happened was that 20 years earlier this Rabbi Newman was in the Polish army and Baruch Hashem he didn't have to go to the front and his duty was to watch the POWs the prisoners of war the German prisoners of war. Now, the Polish hated the Germans with such a passion, they would starve them, especially the guys that were in jail. 
and this particular German soldier stole some bread. Now that was a war crime. And they told him he's going to be shot and killed. And they told Neumann, Neumann, that he should go out and shoot him and take him out to the field. And he took him out to the field. And this German soldier begged him. He said, I know you're Jewish. He said, how do you know I'm Jewish? He said, I saw you praying every day. He said, I know you're Jewish. Please, I only stole bread so I can have bread for my family. And Nassim Neumann told me that the guy said to him, I used to be a Shabbos guy. Please save me. I used to be a Shabbos guy. So for your people. So this Newman, what he did was, he said, take off your jacket. And he cut the soldier's arm with a bayonet to make it bleed. And he put the blood on the jacket. And then he shot three holes through the jacket. And he said, run, just run, never come back, just run to safety. And now 20 years later, he recognized this guy. He recognized the soldier who saved his life. And now he was paying him back. It's just an incredible, incredible. Wow. And, 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 I, and obviously, and, and the fact, obviously the effect uh, that it made on Ramesha was immense, right? Yeah. And, and, and his son told me that ever since his bar mitzvah, every single time that he said, Moedim, he thought about that day and thanked Hashem that he was saved. Typically saving yeah. a person that would end up being such an important right. man. For Yisrael. Right. I guess today, you know, we're, we're recording on Lag Boimer. So we know that other than the idea that this is the Yom that the Talmud Rabbi Kiva stopped dying, it's also the last day of the life of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But it isn't, we know from the Zayar that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was teaching consistently. He wouldn't, the, the day wouldn't stop. Part of the reason why they do the bonfires, Pesach, as you know, is to be Maramis to the Yoyim, the day that's dedicated to the power of the Malamid. That right. despite his age, despite what was going on, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a teacher, biz himself, and this is a Yoyim of Limud, a Yom yeah. of a Malamid, of the ultimate Malamid of Chochmas Hasod, Rashbi. So I think right. it's appropriate that we're and talking about. And in this song, Bar Yochai, it mentions the Talmidim of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that he's our Rebbe. And, 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 and that is why the meaning is to learn pieces of Zohar, but also it's, 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 it's the power of a Malamed that won't stop. And I think that's, in, in many ways, what you're telling us about Ramesha. How did you want to end this off today, basically? Well, I, I just want to say one thing about that I heard from David Cohn today that it was unbelievable. I can't get over this. You know, um, in many people burn clothes, you know, by sure. the Hadlaka, right? I, I never understood that. Why do you burn clothes? Some people are against it. It's, right. uh, it's uh, like well, Bahashas sure. or whatever. So Rab David said such an unbelievable thing. He said that Rab Shim Bayachai was created like Odom Arisha and Kodem Achet. And in that Bayachai, it says that Nasa Odom, when Abisha said Nasa Odom, he was referring also to Rab Shim Bayachai. He, he, he didn't need clothes, right? That's right. That's what Rab David said. So therefore, that's why if it's Adam Arisha, you didn't need clothes. So that's why they burn clothes. That's why you can burn the clothes. I hear. Yeah, I hear. Yeah. yeah, the other stuff as well. Because Adam Arisha had everything was Mukhan Mufano. So, right. so in right. a way... Right. Midas, that the Torah tells us about Moshe Rabbeinu, was that he was a sore Lirois. He turned to look at the, at the snare. So the Medrash says, it can't mean only that he turned to look at the snare. Anybody would look at a burning bush. Anybody looks at a solar ambulance. So the Sir Leroy means he turned to look at the problems of his brothers and sisters. 
And Rab Chatzka Levenshain in, in uh, Arya Cheskel writes that we see that's why Hashem called him. Because he cared about others. And that's what I would say about Moshe Newman. He was also like Moshe Rabbeinu, a Sardlerist. He cared about every student. He cared about every teacher. And he, he, every person felt close to him. Every child felt close to him. He had everybody's back. He was really interested. He was a Sardlerist, like the original Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's a lesson that we have to learn. You have to care about other people. Definitely. Pesach, we'll catch you, Mirza Hashem. I know that when the next Sefer comes, I know that uh, I've got, I know that you're going to want to be interviewed once again to, to be my, my friend. The godless of, 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 of Kal Yisrael and the heroes uh, that, that you present in such an important way. For us to realize that the that the Rishonim Kemalochim that we can in some way aspire to be like them. Pesach, thanks a lot. Thank you, Be well. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.